All right. 11.05 means I got like an hour and a half. Praise the Lord. All right, stand to your feet for the reading and the hearing of God's Word. If you have bad knees, you can sit down because we're going to read a lot uh, halfway through or so. You know, wait till you're hurting pretty good. All right, Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So, that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord uh, Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 
but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Let me pray once again. Lord Jesus, as humbly as I know how, I pray, God, that you would set me and anyone else to the side and that your word, your son, your message, your gospel would come to the front, that we would exalt Christ Jesus and lift him up, for we know when Christ is lifted up, if he be lifted up, he will draw all men unto himself. That's our prayer this morning, in Christ's name, amen. So I want to move around the scripture a little bit this morning, and I'm not going to try to unpack all of Ephesians chapter 1 and the first 10 of chapter 2. That would be about 18 hours worth of sermon. But what I will do is touch on a few of those as we go through and then bring in some support text uh, on the topic at hand. The topic today is reformation and it is salvation by grace through faith alone. So today is reformation day as I was telling you earlier and in October, on October 31st, 1517, a German priest named Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis to the wall in Wittenberg to the church door there which acted uh, as a type of bulletin board. It was a communication area. And these 95 Theses challenged the way that the Roman Catholic Church was operating and the beliefs that they held. Many of you may not know what Orthodox uh, Catholicism teaches. Maybe some of you came out of Catholicism. There may be a few Catholics in here. I do not hate Catholics. Uh, I do not believe all Catholics are going to hell. I will say, as clearly as I know how, that Orthodox Catholicism is false doctrine. If anyone is in the Catholic Church and they are saved, it is not because of the doctrine, it is in spite, it is despite the doctrine. Does that make sense? So there are lots of Catholics who love Jesus, they don't even really know what the Catholic Church teaches, and they're saved. But it is despite the teaching, the Orthodox teaching of the Catholic Church, and not because of it. Well, one of the major problems that we find Luther addressing in the Catholic Church as he nailed his 95 Thesis to the door was the problem of buying indulgences uh, in order to secure uh, your salvation or your repentance or even to buy one of your loved ones out of purgatory. Now, as Protestants, we don't believe in purgatory at all anyway. But in the Catholic Church, they believe in purgatory, which is a place that you go after you die in order to make up for the work that you didn't do here, to make up for the things that you got wrong here. And once you, so if you die here and there's sin that's not been covered in your life, you go to a place called purgatory, and in purgatory you pay or you do works in order to 
catch back up. And once you have paid your full amount, once you have done enough, whatever it is you do in purgatory, then you can be released from purgatory and you can go on to be with Christ in heaven, which is a ridiculous idea and it's not found in the scriptures anyway. But that's not the point today. The point is, is that they felt like they teach that if you will pay your indulgences, that you can buy those people out of purgatory. And, and we could talk about, you know, the problems in Catholicism all day long. That's not the point here. The point is, what secures salvation? What secures salvation? I ask this question, I say, where does the power, means, and fullness of salvation rest? You know, we, as I described to you some of the issues in Catholicism, we may be tempted to think, that's crazy. I, that, that's insane. How could someone think that they could buy their way into the family of God? How could someone think that you can pay money to have your sins absolved or the sins of your loved ones absolved? The problem with that is, is that we do the same thing. It's called tithing. Now, some of you tithe, you say, what? Tithing is fine. If you want to tithe, if you see that as a baseline of how you want to give, that's fine. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the motivation of the heart and why it is that you tithe. How many of us believe that we have special favor with God because we give a certain amount of money to the church? Insert anything you want to. How many of us think that God is happy with us when we give, when we attend, when we do a devotion at a certain time? How many people think that we win favor with God and God is happy with us as long as we're doing enough stuff to appease what God would have us to do? And on the other hand, that God is angry with us. He has left us. We have no relationship with God when we fail to do particular deeds, activities, or pay certain monies to the church or to wherever. This is the same root problem. It is justification or even sanctification by means other than the grace and mercy of God. We, it needs to be said very clearly. And I know this is a concept that is tough for us to wrap our minds around. Because we feel like we need to do something in order to make God happy. But what we fail to realize is, is that all of the righteousness needed to satisfy God, all of the holiness, all of the perfection that's needed to satisfy God can only be found in one place. And that is in the person, the God-man, Christ Jesus. To try to buy the love of God or the absolution of sin or the repentance in order to try to buy that from God with any of your money the richest man on the planet could give every dime that he had and it would be like me trying to buy a Lamborghini or a 20 million dollar house with my son's allowance he laughs at this These riches are, God owns the world. 
God owns it all. You only have anything because he saw fit to allow you to handle a little bit for a little while. And he's watching how you do with that. So the question then is, where does the power, means, and fullness of salvation rest? Does it rest in works? Does it rest in systems? Indulgences? Determination? Grit? Does it even rest in your willingness? I want to read for you just, there's 95, so this comes out in 95 points, okay? The 95 Thesis. 95 issues he had, they built upon one another. 95 issues that Martin Luther had with the church that he, uh, with the Roman Catholic Church, which he was a part of. He was a German priest. I just want to read four of them to give you an idea. He said, in number 27, he says, speaking of the priests and the, the, the teachers in the Roman Catholic Church, he says, they preached vanity who say that as soon as the money jingles into the money box, the soul flies out of purgatory. Number 32. They will be condemned eternally together with their teachers who believe in themselves sure of their salvation because they have letters of pardon. Number 36. Every truly repentant Christian has a right to full remission of penalty and guilt even without letters of pardon. Number 62, the right and true treasure of the church. And between those, the argument was made that indulgences is the treasure of the church. So you would pay your money and they would give you a letter of pardon as if that letter of pardon would appease God to allow you in. He said the right and true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. So what was, the, what was the Reformation about? The Reformation was about the fact that Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and men. That full pardon and acceptance and inheritance and relationship and redemption rest in faith in Christ alone and nothing else. It does not matter what you do. It does not matter how hard you run or how hard you will. It, none of that matters. All that matters is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the author and perfecter of our faith. There is nothing that we add to or offer to our salvation. You say, wait a minute, Brenner. Are you just telling me that people can do whatever they want to? You're not hearing me if that's what you're hearing. And you may need to check your heart. Because the works and the striving that a Christian is committed to does not in any way, shape, form, or fashion, not even a smidge, come to secure anything with God. It, it secures nothing. But it is worked out of a heart that's been secured it is done out of a love for God. It is, not, it is not transactional. 
your movement and your love and your striving and your working and your moving is not transactional. It is not to get something from God, but it is because you have received everything from God. It is because you can't help but to love and move and speak for God and work because you are enamored with him. Now, do you get? Is it transactional in some ways? Yes. John Piper's message of Christian hedonism, I think, is beautiful and it's wonderful and I think it's right. He says that, the pursuit of God should be the aim and the heart of every single believer. That our longing should, should be to have every desire met in Christ. That we should long for Him. That we should crave Him. And our utmost desires should be to find our fulfillment in Christ. Now... It's transactional only in the sense that when the love of God that abides in us moves on us in such a way to compel us to do and to be and to speak and to think for Christ is that we get to enjoy Him that much more. We get to rest in his presence we get to see his face we get to face we get to see his movement his salvation and it is not as if we secure blessing but it is us being more fully aware of who he is it is like having everything that you've ever needed all in your hands and in your grasp and in your heart and in your mind all at one time it is euphoric it is blessing beyond measure I want to just repeatedly speak this verse over you because I think this is missed so often. And the funny thing is, is that the gospel, salvation by grace through faith in Christ for the propitiatory work, the payment that he made on the cross in your place is the thread that ties the entire scripture together. The scarlet thread is the thread that ties every piece of the scripture together. It's found everywhere. And all throughout the scripture, we find people in every nook and cranny trying to buy, secure, work, strong-arm God, literally wrestling with God to make God bless them or to make God have favor on them. And over and over and over and over, it is by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, but a gift from God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So that no one may boast. Let's say that together. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Let's say it together. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. 
not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Is there another scripture more clearly and plainly stated in the scripture that your faith is not even your own? It is not even yours, but it is the gift of God that he quickens and awakens inside of you. You see, salvation is holy of the Lord. It is not of us. Quite oftentimes when I start to speak of these truths with different individuals, they get upset with me. You've heard it many times. Maybe some of the newer folks have never heard this or didn't know that we taught sovereign grace here. But some people get upset with me when I say that salvation is all of God and none of you. They get upset with me and I ask, why, why, why would you get upset? They demand that half of it was them. No, we are the ones who kicked in God's grace by our belief. We are the ones who allowed God to, God was really trying and he done, he done his part. Now it's up to you, you must believe. And I say, no. Even your belief, even your faith is not of your own. It's a gift of God. No, can't be. The Bible commands us to believe. Yes, the Bible commands many things that you cannot do. Are you to believe? Absolutely you are. The question is not are you to believe. The question is how are you to believe? And I've come to this realization. The reason people get upset with me when I preach sovereign grace is that they demand to be at least as sovereign as God. That they have as much to do with their salvation as does God. So no friend. You don't want to live there. I promise. I promise you don't want to live there. Ask me why. Ask me why. Because all of you are wicked and corrupt. I'm serious. There's none good, no, not even one. There are none who seek God. There is no one righteous, not even one. If the truth of the matter is, is that God has done the work, he set down, and now it's up to you, every one of us are going to hell. Because there's none good, not even one. There are none righteous, not even one. There are none who seek him. All have gone astray, Romans chapter 3. But praise be to our God and Father who in Christ came to get us. And while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive in Christ Jesus. Okay, so turn back to Ephesians chapter 1. I want to highlight just for you the work that God does. Now, we are going to get to the place because rightfully so, you should be asking yourself, asking me, well, where does, and we've touched on it, but where does Christian action come in? Where does works come in here? Because we're commanded throughout Scripture to be holy as I am holy. To work out your salvation, right? We're called to, to uh, walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've received, right? We've, we call, First John, man, he nailed, boom, 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 boom. This is how we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one that says that he knows him but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth isn't even in him. Wait a minute. Salvation by grace through faith alone. But you have to keep his commandments in order to 
know that you love him. So wait, Brandon, you can't say that because we have to really work hard to make sure that we're in. Is that what it means? James, it's hardcore. Chapter 2, verse 24, what does it say? And we know that you are not saved by faith alone, apart from works, but by faith and works. Wait a minute, what? Well, let's take a look and see if we can work some of that stuff out. And I hope today that you can see the glorious truth that God has just been continually unfolding for me and unraveling for me and showing me on a deeper level than I've ever seen it before. Ephesians chapter 1, we're just going to kind of skim through and touch on a couple of highlights as we go through the text. Starting in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, right there, we see right out of the gate. Yeah, isn't it, though? It's God who is blessing you. You see, there's no mention of you here. Not yet that God is blessing you. How? In Christ Jesus. The work that God did in Jesus Christ is sufficient to cover all sins. There is nothing else that needs to be done. He says, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Man, I, I, I'm going to have to be careful. Because this sermon might be three hours long. But just to touch on it for a minute. Will y'all give me that for a second? Can we just kind of meander through the text? Calm down, bro. Calm down. Listen to what he says. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. How often? Let me make it about me, James. How often do I walk around with my lip out and my head down? <laughs> my life is tough. You know? How often do I make so much out of nothing? And the truth of the matter is that myself and you and you and you, we are all filled up full with the power and the blessings of God. Even in the midst of the trials, and John, I preach this all the time, and sometimes I just can't remember that Jesus Christ, the type of faith that he has, is the same faith that he gives to you in order that you might be saved. You see, we didn't have faith. You need to understand this. We did not have faith. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. I could preach this same text, this same uh, point the same truth from Ezekiel 37, which everybody thought I was going to preach on was the Valley of Dry Bones. I could preach the same truth from Ezekiel chapter 37. Why? Ask, say why, Brandon? Because it's the same message. I mean, duh. No. Think about Ezekiel chapter 37, the Valley of Dry Bones. What does Ezekiel say when he walks up in the valley? He says, whoa, this valley is full of bones. And he says what? Lo, they are very you said it, dry. They are very dry. What's he saying? They're dead as dead can be. When he's walking through the valley and he's standing on, stepping on the bones, you know what I, I see in my mind every time? I see dust. And it, I can taste it in my mouth. I can't. Because I don't know what bone dust tastes like, but when I think about it and, it and it's in my mind, I see this bone dust rising up. And it's like, oh, it's dead, right? Nasty, nasty. Could it be any more clear that there is no life here? And God is the one who asks Ezekiel, what does he say? Son of man, can these dry bones live? And I think Ezekiel has the right answer. He's like, oh, <laughs> only you know, Lord. 
what is he saying? Ezekiel gets it. What's he saying? The, the, the dust is rising up off the bones. They're as dead as they can possibly be. There's no life in them. Ezekiel's looking at them. He's like, no, they're dead. You know, they're, they're like beyond dead. They're dry dead. Like you see a deer hit. It's still flinching. You're like, he might get up. He could possibly get up. And you better be careful. How many of y'all seen Tommy Boy? Remember? Remember they hit the buck? Oh, poor the buck. And they put it in the... I don't know why they put it in the car anyway, but they put it in the car. What happened? It came alive. <laughs> you can see a deer. It's still got flesh. It's been wounded. You're looking at a deer. You're like, I think the deer's dead. Dakota might say, I don't know. Cut the antlers off so Let's see if it squirms, right? I don't know. The deer might be dead. The deer might not be dead. But what do we know when we pass a deer carcass on the side of the road and there's not even a stitch of meat on it and the bones are dry? Is it going to get up? No, it ain't getting up. Right? It's not getting up. So Ezekiel's looking at these dry bones, and I'm way off course here, but I'm just, I'm just having fun today, right? Ezekiel's walking through the valley, and the dust is rising up, and God's like, can these bones live? Ezekiel says the right thing. In other words, what Ezekiel says, Lord, you know. That's actually what he says. He's like, Lord, you know. What's Ezekiel saying in that small phrase? What's he saying? If it's going to live, you're the only one that can do it. The bones are not going to stand up on their own. The bones are not going to come alive on their own. It can only happen one way, God, and I don't even know what it is. God, you alone, you know. Well, we know what happens, and, I, and I'm not preaching Ezekiel 37. I'm preaching Ephesians 1 and some other stuff. But we all know what happens, right? I do got to go a little bit further. <laughs> what happens? What happens? He says, God says, son of man, prophesy to the spirit. What does he say? He says, speak the word of God over the dead people that they might live. <laughs> well, man, it's so good. So the dead rise up, bone comes to bone. How many of you know the story? It's beautiful, beautiful, awesome story. Bones come together, ligaments come on them. All, all these things happen, but there's still no life. They're, they're animated, they're up, they're standing up, they're still alive. And, and he says, son of man, prophesy to the spirit. And the spirit came in, into them, the breath of life. And the, the, the standing army that was physically alive, the breath of God. And that's the same word, breath and spirit. The, the breath of God, the spirit of God goes into these dead people. And, and they, they, they're alive. Let me ask you this question. What did, those, what did the dry bones do to become alive? Can we say this? I think this is okay in church. Not a daggone thing. Is that okay to say? Heather, is that all right? Can we say that? Is that okay? Come on, with me. Not a daggone thing. Daggone's not a bad word, is it? I mean, it might be a Christian cuss word, but that ain't. I don't think it is. Nothing. They didn't do anything. What did dead people do? They just lay dead. <laughs> That's it. They don't do anything. But God and in his infinite wisdom and his power and his glory and his might spoke the word. And what do we know in Genesis? How did God create? How did God make life? How did God make anything? What did he do? And God said, and God said, and God said. God spoke the word and things came to life. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. 
Where was I at? <laughs> Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly. Everything that you need. Everything that you need is in Christ. That same faith that Christ had when he was sleeping in that boat. When the waves are flipping them around. And these professional seamen. These professional fishermen. These professionals. were They were scared to death. They thought that they were going to die. And Jesus is just. Man there's so many lessons in that text. Oh ye of little faith. Do you not know? Some of you are in the middle of a storm. And I am so sorry. I am. My heart breaks for you. And the church needs to rally around you and help you if it's financially, if it's emotional, if it's physical. We need to rally. But the truth of the matter is, no matter what this world throws at you, they cannot take that which is most important. Because it's in Christ. And Christ says, who will snatch them out of my hand? What shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? Trial or tribulation, height or death? No. I am convinced that nothing shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. Which includes you. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't find your way in. You didn't work your way in. You didn't buy your way in. And you can't do anything to get yourself out if you're truly born again. This is another. This, I'm, I'm going to run with this a second. This is another thing that bothers me. You got so many people around here, they're like, well, half the decision was mine. Right? They want to have half sovereignty over the decision to go in. But all of those same people, now this is inconsistent, and I do know some people who are consistent, and they say otherwise, but you'll know what I mean in a minute. Half of these people that say, oh, no, you know, God did the work. I had to make the decision to kick God's work in, and then we were good. But then you know what they want to say? But now once I'm saved, I'm always saved. So on the front side, I'm sovereign enough to get in, but I want to make sure I ain't sovereign enough to get out. You see what I'm saying? Why? Because they realize deep down that there is nothing in them that could bring about salvation nor keep salvation. Salvation and sanctification are all God. Now, sanctification, I ain't going to get into that. Sanctification, in the perspective of mankind, is synergistic in some ways. That you work hand in hand with, and I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to get to that in a minute, okay? Hold on, just don't rush me. Okay, Ephesians chapter 1, let's move down a little bit further. All the spiritual blessings are in Christ. He gave us everything in the heavenly places, verse 4. Even as, as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I'm not going to beat this horse to death or this deer, keeping with the same analogy. God is the author of salvation. God has planned everything out. The will of God cannot be thwarted. It cannot be changed. We are in God's universe, and we will live that way. And here's the truth. Some of you might gasp. You might say, well, that means some are not going to be saved. We already knew that. We, all of you already knew that. The only question is, why? Two answers. God's decreed before the foundations of the world how everything would go. And because 
they hated God. If any, look, we'll say it this way. Anybody who ends up spending eternity in hell have no one to blame but themselves. They've hated God. The light has come into the world, and they did not receive it. They hated Christ. They would not submit. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching them to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self self to live upright and selfless in this present age. Titus 2.11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Romans chapter 1. They are without excuse because you can look out there and know that God exists. They know God exists and they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Both of those can be true at the exact same time. There is no contradiction. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, some people say, well, if he chose us beforehand, then we ain't even got to worry about it. We can do whatever we want to do. But the fact of the matter is, he chose you and, and, and bought you and predestined you and brought you in in order that you might be holy and blameless and work for him. Those are two sides of the same coin. You cannot say you've been predestined. You cannot say you've been called. You cannot say you've been saved. You cannot say you've been uh, justified. You cannot say you've been sanctified and live however you want to live and go astray, go wayward, sin. Because it's like saying red is blue. Don't you understand? It's like saying red is blue or black is white. No, those who are in Christ and who have been saved by God, chosen before the foundation of the world, when they come into Christ Jesus, they will be transformed into the likeness of Christ. They will be conformed to his image continually and progressively. Let's move on. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. There's so many people. I just don't believe in that predestination stuff. Well, you've just got to cut parts of your Bible out. I mean, I'm, I'm literally reading. This is the Bible. I'm reading the Bible. You may, want to, you may want to say, well, we've got to figure out what that word actually means. That's fine. But you do know it's in the Bible many times, right? Okay. In love, he predestined us when? He, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. He told us beforehand. When did he do that? Before the foundations of the world. Now, predestination and election, that's not my topic today. But it does touch on my topic. And my topic is, is that salvation is not of yourself. It is not of anything that you brought to the table. It is not any transactional thing that you brought and said, God, I'll trade you this for my salvation. I'll trade you my good works for my salvation. I'll trade you my will for my salvation. I'll trade you my money for my salvation. It's not transactional in that way. The point of this is, is that God is the beginning, the middle, and the end of your salvation. God alone. And the only good works that you do is the works that he works in and through you. By the power and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's why you can rest though. You see that's where the perseverance of the saints comes. See anybody that believes once saved always saved. But doesn't believe in the sovereign grace of God is inconsistent. But the one that says my salvation didn't begin with me. It began with God and my salvation won't end with me. It ends with God. You see how they're parallel. Those are consistent ideas. 
I didn't, I didn't bring myself in by anything that I did, and I can't take myself out by anything that I do. All of it's a work of God. And God is faithful because even when I'm faithless, he's faithful. Praise God. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? And doesn't it make you want to work? Not because you have to secure it, but because you're secured. Let's move on down to, to touch on that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick it up the speed a little bit. First, though, I want to pause right here, and I want us to read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 together again. Can we do that? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 together again. Tell me when you're there. Say amen. It's going to be up here, too, I think. Yep. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as, as a result of works, so that no one may boast. One more time, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see, you ask the person who believes that they're saved because they had the foresight or the will or the determination to believe. You ask that person, you say, so what's the difference between you being saved and so-and-so being saved? What's the difference? If anything comes to the forefront, like, oh, well, I will, you know, were, were you smarter? Were you sharper? Were you, were, you know, were you more humble? What, what, you see, this is God that no man may boast. You're, even your faith. You see, a believer, and, and I know that, that sovereign grace guys are shot at all the time because they say, you make yourself out to be the elect. Well, it's just a misunderstanding of the, of the doctrine. It, it, you just fail to understand because there's no one who truly understands this doctrine and says, yes, I'm the elect. No. No, they understand that there was nothing in them worth saving. There was nothing in them that could do anything. No, they know that it was by God. And why, why, why did God choose to save me? I don't know. But I know I was running 190 miles an hour in the opposite direction. But God, in his steadfast love, he chased me down. He was relentless. No, you don't understand. There was nothing good in me. I didn't do anything for my salvation. As a matter of fact, when God saved me, and this is true of my life. This is true of Brennan Poirier. I promise you, when God saved me, you can ask my wife, you can ask anybody in my life that knew me from before, from before I am who I am now. You ask anybody. I hated God. I was doing everything I could to get away from God. I wasn't honoring God. I didn't humble myself. I didn't seek his face. I was steeped in drugs and alcohol and licentiousness and lies and deception. I didn't have any love for God, Dennis. I was running a hundred. I, I hated God. And God chased me down. He broke my legs. He put me on my face. And he said, today is the day, boy. And I was, I was dead. And I come alive. I said, whoa, what? I mean, which one of you were pursuing after God when you finally called him? <laughs> I'm serious, right? I'm serious. Like, does this make any sense? None of y'all was chasing after God. Like, you know, I hear people say, I found God. No, you didn't. God found you, right? God came after you because ain't none of y'all, me included, none of us, ever sought after God until God awakened us. 
it's a praise. It's a praise. You say, why do you talk about this? Why do you talk about this? Because I want to glorify my God. I want to glorify Jesus for what he's done. I want to glorify Jesus because while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he came to us. He chased us down. I hated God, but he loved me. You see how much this makes out of God? There was nothing that it, he should have never saved me. He should have never saved me. And you know what? He shouldn't maintain my salvation either. Because even today I got things that makes God look awful. There are things in my life, even the simplest things, are horrible. Do you understand? That all sin is horrendous and wicked and evil and nasty and disgusting. But God has washed me in the blood of the Lamb. He has taken and moved my sins as far as the east is from the west, let me tell you, if it depended on me, there is no way I would still be in this salvation. The sovereignty of God is not a hard doctrine for prideful people to say, yes, I've made it. No, it is a, it is a humble doctrine of a gracious and loving God that came to rescue us when we would not come to him. To God Almighty came down out of heaven when he had everything at his feet. To submit himself to torture, humiliation upon a rugged cross. To be beaten within an inch of his life and have to drag his cross up the hill and couldn't even do it. They had to get somebody else to carry his cross, man. He drugged that cross up that hill on his tattered and, and mutilated back can you imagine the steps until he gave that cross away can you imagine them laying his hamburger meat back on this rough rugged cross and just the the feeling of the the wood and the bark and the dust and the dirt getting down in all the cuts the infection the germs the nastiness of all the standard buyers spitting into his open wounds. We don't know if the cross had been used or if it was new. They were, they were used multiple times. And it's recorded in history that those who had been crucified before would defecate and, and urinate all over the cross. They were up there for hours. And there would oftentimes be a pile of feces at the bottom of the cross. Those who were crucified had no form of retaliation and, and crowds would gather. It was a public form of entertainment. So those who being crucified in order to retaliate could only do one thing. Try to urinate on the crowd. Sound disgusting? It was. It was. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross despising it shame shameful the god of the universe who spoke it all into existence the god of the universe who spoke it all into existence hung on a cross naked battered beaten being spit upon the creator of the universe to secure your salvation and you did not deserve it and neither do i that's the sovereign God that we serve. He would not be stopped. He would not be stopped. Remember in John chapter 12? Jesus in his humanity was sorrowful. He was like, 
don't know, God. Paraphrasing. Is there any other way? Is there any other way? Can this cup pass from me? Is there another way, God? But nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. Jesus Christ submitted himself to the sovereign will and decreative will of the Father because the work had to be done and Jesus was going to do it. See how this idea that you can you you think you think you can buy this salvation with your money? You think you can buy this with your money, with your time? God was murdered on a cross in order to buy your salvation, and you think we think that we are going to buy pardon? Through our money. How? How? How would we secure this salvation when it took God climbing upon a cross to buy it for us? Is God good? Is God good? You say, are there some that just can't be saved? I don't know. But I'll tell you this. You can be saved today. Any one of you. If you would bow your knee to King Jesus. And confess him as Lord and Savior. People say, well, how do you know who's elect? I don't. Until. They confess Jesus Christ. As Lord and Savior. Who are the elect? Those who will believe. Who can believe? The elect. How do you know who the elect are? Because they believe. People get bent out of shape because God already knows who's, who's going to believe. But what does God not know? Man, God is so, so good. I'm about out of time. I wish I could just, just, man. Anyway, all right. Verse 11, let's skip down a little bit. In him we have obtained an inheritance. We've We've obtained an inheritance, guys. In who? In Christ. In Christ, we've, we've, we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Does it say, having been predestined according to what you would choose? <laughs> having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, because God was going to get it done. God had a plan and he was going to make it happen. So that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Here it is. Here's that carrying out of the sanctifying work of God after the point of justification. Now, not to get too technical, I don't have much time. People, 
Okay, put your listening ears on me. Raise your hands if you're listening. Okay, Everyone, everybody wants to say salvation as if it's a one-and-done, point-in-time thing, and that's it. That's not how the Bible describes salvation in, in any form. The Bible describes salvation as being made up of justification, sanctification, uh, well, you start out even with regeneration, sanctification, or justification, uh, sanctification, um, glorification, all, all these things. It's a process. Paul says that you have been saved. In one sense, it's done. You've been saved. Paul also says you are being saved. And then Paul also says you will be saved. Who will be saved? Those who persevere to the end and abide. If Jesus Christ said, if my word abides in you all the way to the end, you will be saved. You say, well, hold on a second. I thought it was once saved, always. I thought that it was, you know, that you were, you can't go in, you can't come out. The bottom line is, is that salvation is a process. And if you truly are saved, it will work all the way to the end because God never fails. If someone backs out of the faith and moves away, they prove themselves to be an unbeliever, we just understand the Bible to teach that they were never a believer anyway because believers persevere because God doesn't fail. It's not like God started to save. He was like, oops. <laughs> Man, that one was just too sinful. Do we need to go back to the cross? Like, was the cross not sufficient to cover those sins? It's like, you're so bad that the cross halfway saved you. We almost did it. But then, oh man, it fell short. No. Doesn't work that way. Let me skip over to Philippians right quick and just give you assurance here that it is Christ and you can trust Him. I thank my God, this is uh, Philippians 1 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Watch this. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Salvation is a process. God is the beginning, the middle, and the end. Now, will you cooperate in there? Absolutely, you will. For it is God who is at work in you. Let's go to Philippians again. How about Philippians chapter 2? You say, will you, will you work and cooperate with God once you've been justified? Absolutely you will. On what terms? Well, let's read Philippians chapter 2 verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, there's your obe obedience, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Hey, get her done, son. Put your hand to the plow. Don't look back. Work to show yourself a, a workman worthy. You know, make sure that you you doing it. Get after it. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But I thought you told me that it wasn't about me. Well, verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So in other words, you better work because God's at work. If God's at work, you're going to work. How does he work? What does God work, God's work have to do with your work? Two things. Notice what the text says. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who works in you both twofold, to will and to work. God gives you, you didn't have any desire for God. There are none who sought God. There are none who desired Him. None righteous. 
God brings you into covenant relationship with him by regenerating you, waking you up, and changing your desires so that now it is desire-based and it's not transactional. Before salvation, even if you have an idea of who God is, even if you know that you're a sinner and you don't want to be a sinner and you would like to please God, it is transactional because in your mind, you are thinking, I must do these things in order to appease God. The Mormons do it, Jehovah's Witnesses do it, uh, Orthodox Catholics who hold that view do it, uh, Muslims do it, every other religion in the world does it. Every religion, this is the one, this is the, well, this is one of the main points that distinguishes uh, Christianity from every other religion on the, on the face of the planet. Every religion, every single religion is teaching you the things that you need to do to secure relationship with God. And it is useless. It is, it is useless. Only Christianity, true Christianity, only the gospel says you could not do it, therefore God did it. And God is the author of salvation. He changes your desires. It goes from transactional to relational. It goes from I have to do these things to I get to do these things. And that might seem like a small thing, but it's so deep and so wide and so big and so crucial for you to get. I think I could rightly say that Maybe the majority, but at least half the people I know seem to go to church because they have to. That's what they got to do. And I talk to people who are missing. Look how many seats there are in here. And that's okay because God's got here. I mean, I'll be predestined for the foundation of the world, you know. I mean, God's will cannot be thwarted. So everybody that's here is the ones who were meant to be here. So that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, is that where is everybody? And I'm not even talking about the people that have been here and are not here today. That's sad. breaks my heart. But there's 2,400 people. Last I know, there was 2,400 people just in the town of Landrum. There's maybe 200 in here. Where is everybody? And I wonder how many, even in this room, and I love you, but I love you enough to hit you with this truth and ask you honestly. How many people in here really didn't even want to come this morning? But it's what you do. I hope none. But I got a feeling there are a few. Got to check that box. I got to go. The preacher's going to be mad at me. <laughs> He's going to text me later today. I got I to go because, you know, God's going to be mad at me transactional okay god i'll go to church today dang you always give me a hard time god right no no you see you see this move from transactional to relational uh, um charles Leiter, great just got into some of his teaching he says there's two different realms a realm of demand and a realm of supply I love the teaching. It goes like this. 
that the transactional, I, I said transactional and relational, he says demand and supply. The transactional demanding realm, uh, realm says, you better do these things or you're going to get it, boy, girl, right? You better, you better do what you're supposed to do or somebody's going to be mad, right? You're working over here. You're striving over here. You don't never feel like you're enough. You, you, or, or when you do feel like you've done it, you're prideful and arrogant because it's you, you're the author of the salvation. You're the one doing all the right stuff. God's, God's happy with you because of all the great stuff that you've done. You see how arrogant it is. It either leads to despair because you just can't do it. You can't meet the demands. Or it leads to arrogance and pride because I've met the demands. You see? The realm of demand is nothing but heartache. But the realm of supply. The realm of relationship doesn't work that way. We don't, we don't frantically work in order to secure and meet the demands. No. No, in the realm of supply, we have everything that we need. And we're grateful. And, and God, you've given me everything. What, what can I do for you, God? It's, God, is there anything I can do for you today? What, Christians are gathering? Can I go? I would love to go. And I would love to worship you. with it. Can I go? Can I go? Right? Jump out of bed. You'd be like, whoa. I don't, know, I don't jump out of bed like that every Sunday morning, just so y'all know. Right? We all struggle with these two. I, I overslept this morning. I thought I had an elders meeting. And I jumped up. Or Heather woke me up. I woke up. And then I rolled back over. And it was like, you got a meeting this morning? I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> and I didn't even have a meeting this morning. It's next Sunday. So don't, don't let me stand up here with a cape on. I'm not, hey, this, you know, everybody's struggle. But when we're actually getting this. When we're actually living in that realm, we, we, don't to, we don't have to go to church. We don't have to read our Bibles. We don't have to pray. We don't have to meditate. We don't have to memorize scripture. We get to. We get to walk with God. We get to pray. We get to be enlightened by the power of the Holy Spirit. We get to, we get to ebb and flow with the Father. We get to be in on the plan, right? Because we have spiritual minds and we can understand spiritual things. And we can read the scripture, John, and, 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 and things that, that other people can't see. They're, they're awake. They're, we are awakened to them. We can see them. We're, we read God's word and i hope that i hope that you can say you've been here sometimes i'm reading god's word and i'm reading i'm like oh my goodness look at this i've read that 18 times i've read that 5,000 times look but look at that. i've never seen this before the word of god is living and, and active and sharper than any two-edged sword it goes all the way down to the middle and it speaks as you see the realm of demand is is demanding it's tight it's, it, it, it's exhausting oh so it's exhausting and, and it'll, it'll beat you down or the man. It's like a, it's like a work. It's a contractual relationship. It's like a work. Okay, God, I'll work hard this week. How much do I get? No, no. The realm of supply is the realm of family. It's the realm of inheritance. It's the realm of, of blessing. It's, it's the realm of I don't have to work because I got my, my dad owns it all. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> This, this is this is like it's the it's it's employee versus son, it's contract versus covenant, it's demand versus supply, it's law versus grace. That all that you need is in Christ, beginning, middle, and end. Well, I'm out of time. I will say this: is that. That guy who climbed up on that cross, 
I've said a lot this morning, okay? We, we're all over the place. I've said a lot, but let me, let me say this. It's a legit question to start to think about these enormous truths and to think to yourself, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, I, I don't know if I'm one of the elect. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. It's not about you figuring out whether you're elect, or chosen, or predestined. Don't do that. Those are truths in Scripture that let us know that God has it under control. The Bible, Jesus says, all that the Father has given to me, they will come to me, and I will not lose not even one. Don't get bogged down and wondering, am I elect, am I elect, am I chosen, am I predestined? Don't worry about that. You know what you worry about? Jesus Christ. I mean, study it. Don't get me wrong, study it. But don't let that overwhelm you. Because this is how you know if you are in relationship with God, if you are in love with God. You see, going back to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, it is God who is at work in you both to will. You see, God brings about the change in your desires. And out of a change of desires flows the work. You see, we desire to, previously, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we desired the things of the world. It was, you see, salvation is not an information problem. Salvation is really not an information problem. For although they knew God, they despised God. They suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. Salvation is not an information problem. Everybody knows there's a God. Whether they admit it or not, there is no such thing as an atheist. I know some of you may disagree with that, but I'll argue with you about it. That's fine. I like to do that anyway. There are no true atheists. The Bible says that although they knew God, the whole creation knows there's a God. It's plain by the, the eye. It's plain by what they can see. It's plain. They deny and demand that there is no God, and they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Information is not the problem. We have a desire problem. We don't need more information. We need our eyes open to the reality of who God is. We need our lives transformed by the power of the gospel. We need our eyes enlightened. We need the, the eyes of our heart enlightened. We need the breath of life to come in to take us from the realm of demand to the realm of supply. The last verse I'll quote is this, Colossians. It says this, that, that he has transferred you from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved sons. Do you understand that through Christ you have become sons and daughters, not transactional, contractual employees, sons and daughters? Jesus Christ was crucified. God became man and climbed up on an old rugged cross, brutally murdered, humiliated, shamed, drugged down off the cross and buried in a tomb. But on the third day, he arose and made it possible for me and for you to have relationship with God outside of anything that we have ever done. So Hebrews 4 says, while it still remains that you can enter into this rest, 
let us do so. For it is said that today is the day of salvation. And all who enter in through Christ enter in to rest as God rested from his works. Timmy, isn't it exhausting to work and to work and to work to try to appease God? Isn't it, isn't it exhausting to try to earn favor with God? Jesus Christ is Sabbath rest. Jesus Christ is the only place where we finally go, ah, I'm home. That's salvation. If you've never been born again, if you've never come into Christ, if you've never confessed Christ as Lord and Savior, that you might rest from your works and be secured by the power of the Holy Spirit, regenerating your dead soul and causing you to come to life, then today is the day of salvation. And listen to me, folks. I don't want you to think you would be alone because there have been many people over the years who have come to this place and heard this message who have been sitting in churches for 10, 20, 30, 40 years and they had heard a lot about their transactional stuff. Do this, don't do that, do this. But they had never at least grasped the gospel that is Christ has done it. And now you can rest in him. If that's you, then you come. Today is the day of salvation. Stop all of your working to get from God and rest in Him. And even those of you who truly are saved, how often do we get locked into the mindset of God is now our boss? God is a, a harsh taskmaster demanding a lot from us. Have you crept into that thinking today? Have you crept, beloved, into the place where you see yourself like the prodigal son and you've been writing out your slave letter? You've been writing out the letter to indebt yourself to your father so that he might have favor on you again? How many of you, brothers and sisters, have forgotten that you are a child of God, a son, a daughter with no need to work but you can just come and rest in the awesome embrace of your heavenly father who has paid it all if that's you today would you repent would you repent of wrong thinking would you stop all of the working in the wrong ways and lay down in Christ Christ said my yoke is easy and my burden is light who would lay down in Christ's arms today? This altar should be slam full. This is just wood and carpet. But it's symbolic of Christ and bowing and placing all of your care. So whether you've never been saved and you need to come and enjoy the rest that is in Christ and Christ alone. Or whether you've been a believer and you are just weary and tired because you've accepted the lies of the deceitful enemy who have convinced you that you are no longer in grace but in demand and that you're not doing enough. And maybe the fact of the matter is you've not been interacting with God, but he's on your heart right now. Would you come and repent? The, the, the altar is open, the front, repent where you are. It's no special place in this room. Let's all stand to our feet. I'm going to say a quick prayer for us, and then I'm going to ask you to do business with God, who has clearly spoken today, if no other time than when I was reading the Word of God, for it is the Word of the living God. Lord Jesus, I pray that the Holy Spirit would break hearts in two right now. 
I pray, God, that it would break down the barriers and the walls and the deception of the enemy that has convinced so many in this room that they are not good enough. Well, Lord, we know we're not good enough, but you are righteous and holy and good and strong, and you are enough. Lord God, we do not plead innocence, Lord. We know that, but neither do we plead, plead guilty. We plead the blood. We plead the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, my own heart, I pray that we would be released from the deception of the enemy and that we would run in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ who has secured salvation from beginning to middle to end. It is all in your hands. Let us lay down and rest in you. We love you, Jesus, in Christ's name. Amen. Respond to God today. You know you need to do business with God. That's between you and Him. Do what you need to do.